0: Hello. Hello. Hello! Hello! Welcome everybody Welcome to another back. episode of the Data Bros Data Engineering uh, podcast. Eldad, how are you? I'm
1: good, I'm good.
0: What's up? Uh, what's What has been going on lately with oh. data? Oh, I don't maybe, care, never no, mind. Exactly. Uh, let's focus all on good. our guest please, Eldad. It's not all about you. Hi Lior, with us today is Lior Solomon, VP of Engineering at Vimeo. Welcome Lior, thanks for joining us. So Vimeo... Doesn't really need any introductions. We all have watched a video at one point or another uh, on the platform. Uh, Lior has been with Vimeo for almost three years. Uh, joined as head of data, uh, moved his way up to VP of engineering as of recently, more or less. An industry veteran, uh, has been in data leadership roles and engineering leadership roles for quite some time. Anything I missed? Uh, Lior, what else do we need to To know about you,
2: the only thing I'll maybe just a little bit elaborate on. You know, Vimeo is like a known brand for a lot of people. It's like, oh, it's a video platform. But you know, for the past past five, six years, we've been focused mostly on businesses and helping you know small, medium businesses to enterprise to scale you know their business using bringing impact with video. Uh, And I think you know in the context of data, that's where it becomes interesting because you know if we're trying to provide them insights. About you know uh, potential competitors or other businesses driving impact, uh, data should be intact <laughs> before we try and do that. So that's kind of the context of like you know how like how I joined Vimeo, what was the objective, and
1: so on. So there's an enterprise subscription. <laughs>
0: data should be intact. That's a good tagline. Like we should make T-shirts. Data should be intact. That can be a big seller. Okay, thanks. So so let's get to it. Uh, let's do talk about data at Vimeo. Let's get started just with uh, maybe sheer numbers to begin with. I mean, what kind of data volumes are you dealing with over there?
2: So, you know, like we collect uh, about, last time I have looked at it, like 85 billion uh, events uh, per month. Um, instead of the data, like the data warehouse on we have like a couple of them unfortunately so on snowflake we have about a beta and a bit uh, of data on bigquery we have like another 1.5 beta um, and HBase is about uh, half a beta there um, most most of the data I would say that is streaming in is the viewership you know data the analytics around like who's watching what what's the quality of experience? Uh, is it buffering to anyone? Like, how frequently, which regions do we distribute the videos properly? Uh, that's kind of like, that's the motive of most of the data coming in. And beyond that, you know, it's like any SaaS platform is just like gathering the, um, the user experience and analytics and, and events and trying to make sense out of it.
0: Okay, so we, we will spend time diving into this stack. It's interesting how you spread all the eggs across uh, more than one uh bucket with all these technologies snowflake and vicker it's interesting uh just a uh, people wise though Vimeo I think is a little bit over 10 th- uh, a little bit over a thousand people strong more or less how many people are in data uh, related roles how are those teams structured
2: we are about 35 data engineers um, and you know we are broken down into the following teams I'll uh, start upstream with real-time processing. Um, we have a data platform team, which focuses on the real time processing, the availability of the pipelines, um, mostly you know, Kafka stack. Um, we used to have a managed Kafka clusters, but we moved to a managed one in Confluent. Um, the data platform team is also working continuously on building framework to make it easier for other engineering groups to consume data from Kafka and just like having their own data sinks to be dropped to whatever, whatever the, the flavor is for them. Um, then there's another team uh, called the Video Analytics Team, which focuses on the consumer-facing video analytics, basically serving, serving the consumer uh, on the website and on the mobile apps, uh, getting the data you know closer to real-time, all the aggregation, all the challenges around that. Um, there's another team called uh, Enterprise Analytics, which focuses mostly on the CDN aggregation. So we're getting from all the CDN vendors... Um, a lot of data on a daily basis which we need to aggregate in order to understand how much bandwidth is being consumed by each one of the, uh, of, uh, the enterprise accounts. Uh, there we mostly the stack is Data Dataproc um, using um, and BigQuery and also some of that data set eventually lands into Snowflake for the BI team. They're kind of the gatekeeper of like data warehouse Snowflake. Uh, they're the one that actually does all the ETL integration, DAGs, you know, uh, airflow and so on. Um, who else am I missing? Uh, data ops. Data ops are actually a team that focuses on the, you know think of it as like the time to analysis. They're the one helping products product teams to onboard their event payloads, to work with them to do the event data modeling. Uh, they're the one that actually provides a framework which internally we built called Big Picture. That's how we call it internally and helps us, like, it's a, think of it as a structured stream where uh, any PM or any, you know, uh, engineering team can go and create their own schema. And once that schema has been created, we provide the SDKs to whatever platform they, they, they use. to could be, you know, all the way from esoteric, you know, Tizen, whatever, TVs, whatever it is. And that, that framework basically validates the schemas and lets those teams de- define where exactly they want to drop the data to. Uh, so data ops is, like, mostly focused on, like, Getting people, getting into the context, you know, is that event already exists or not.
0: Data ops in general, you know, is something that people start to talk. I mean, have been talking about more often recently than than before. Maybe is, is the data ops team a newer initiative? Has it been has it always been around at Vimeo? Tell us about the evolution of it.
2: It's uh, pretty new. Like we spin that team, that team about like what eight months ago, I believe. Like,
0: and what drove you to to launch it?
2: Um, so maybe, you know, that'll take us a little bit to, you need to understand a little bit of the legacy and, the, you know, the history behind this.
0: So let's, 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 uh, let's roll up the sleeves. Let's, let's, you know, let's talk about the, the history. Mm-hmm. How has the stack evolved mm-hmm. ever since you joined and, and realized data needs to be intact?
1: Before I joined, it was a big mess. And, uh, <laughs> and now it's exactly. intact. So data before
3: intact. I joined, it was did. amazing. It was really good. And then I just...
1: yeah. But, but <laughs> there was still room for
0: improvement. Okay, so let's do the history all the way up to data ops.
2: Yeah, so originally, you know, uh, we had like another homebrew kind of pipeline for collecting data from, from dip- different apps, called failed attraction. Don't ask me why. That's the name. Uh-huh. I couldn't find who came up with that name. Um, it's basically it was like an, just like an unstructured data. You can push whatever you want. You have like basically three different columns where you can push, you know, uh, the, the original idea was like, send me the component where the event actually happens, send me the page and the actual payload. And unsurprisingly, after many years, because Vimeo exists like already 16 years, uh, all the massaging of data happened on the ETLs downstream by the BI team, where where you see ETLs like of thousands of lines of code that basically extract the data. In some cases, there's the JSONs that someone decided to send.
0: And these run on what? Like Spark-based?
2: Uh, no, it used to it used to kind of like come in into uh, uh, from a, like basically a, a backend logs. We aggregate all the backend logs, push it into Kafka, drop it into uh, uh, Snowflake, and then on, on on top of the raw data, like we have a raw schema on Snowflake, we'll build ET- ETLs that make sense out of it and creates
1: one big variant field with all the JSON in it and a thousand ELT processes to do to parse and 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 structure it
3: absolutely yeah
1: so you know so there's like a couple of
2: challenges here hey a, a so easy to break this pipeline you know an analyst worked for quite a while to to find his way to the data he's looking for built you know added to that thousand lines of codes another couple of lines of code that you know extracts what it needs to be done and then exactly a couple of days later someone changes it upstream the the analyst is not even aware of it and we have a broken pipeline, and now go find who's the one to you know, and that's kind of you know that's kind of the the world we're trying to shy away from as much as possible, uh, because at the end of the day, I would say that what we're focused on today is just like to improve the analytics efficiency and let them be you know as, you know as fast as possible. Uh, let them focus on driving insights. I think you know probably we're not the first one, uh, like a lot of other other companies. Um, so. Going back to the, so that was the, you know, fatal attraction, unstructured data. We got to the point where we said, okay, let's build a different framework. Let's make sure that there's a contract between the client sending the data and we can validate the data. We can find the ownership to who's the one submitting the data, emitting the data. And when the pipeline, when basically we're using schema registry to, you know, validate on top of Kafka all those contracts, uh, all those like schemas, and whenever something breaks, we instead of like we have like two for each one each one of the events. We have like a, a valid uh, topic and an invalid topic. So once it goes in the invalid topic, we know oh something's wrong. We can go and ping the team that actually is responsible for owning that that, that pipeline. And tell them hey guys something's wrong. They can go fix the issue, and we can rerun uh, the event because we don't we don't drop them. We don't lose them. We still have them on uh, on the Kafka. Um, Problem solved, right? It's like awesome. Now everything's like intact. We know like if something's like anything gets, breaks, we we know about it immediately. We There's know always the
1: someone to blame. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, we don't blame. We don't do that game. Uh, so, but here's you know we created a new problem that goes back to your question about data ops and what where the data ops kind of chined in. The fact was that from an the engineer's perspective on upstream, like the one building the applications, you know, working on the user experience, they're like, oh, that's awesome. I can go into like the big picture UI. I can set up a new schema. I can focus on the questions that I have because I don't care about like the other teams. I have a question I want to answer. And I personally just want the data in Amplitude because that's how my PM is using, you know, that's how they run their analysis. And they don't really think about like the needs of the analyst or the needs of the marketing guy and so on and so forth. So really fast, you end up with like, oh, holy shit, there's like about hundreds, if not thousands, I think already, of different schemas. Mm-hmm. Now, the life with an analyst is like, they come in and someone knocks on the door and like, hey guys, can you help me with this hypothesis? I want you to analyze this user behavior. And they spend now weeks to understand which, you know, which events should they cherry pick from the list of events that exist. Yes, they are more reliable, but still it's not quite clear what's the context, what should I use, and so on and so forth. So data ops came to that for two reasons. One is first of all to stop that behavior and say, guys, before you go and create a schema, let's sit down for a moment. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? Wait, if you're trying to track whatever... If uh, someone paused the video, that event already exists. Don't go and create another one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or if you're just missing some data, let's think about how can we extend the existing event or coordinate it with the other teams and make sure it's basically the the bottom, it's event data modeling. That's what they're trying to do with it. Uh, That's one objective. The other objective is to create the automation that we need for for that specific framework because downstream for the uh, analysts, uh, again, they, they, it doesn't make sense for them to be so familiar and savvy with each one of the schemas. At the end of the day, they want to have a click stream. There's a set of properties that they're looking into. Uh, they're looking for some sort of st- standardization. Yes, they might be in certain cases want to join with the original data and go and see how those events look like. Um, but they want to have some sort of standardization. So the data ops team was working on creating, uh, we call it internally like global properties. It's basically, think of it, we have like, roughly three engineering organizations within Vimeo. It's about like 500 engineers overall. Um, so each one of those like engineering orgs are responsible for a certain application. We basically signed a contract with all those engineers saying, here's a set that you have to provide us that, that information. You have to provide us, you know, whatever, the device thing, manufacturer, version of the app and so on. And that's like the basic bread and butter of any analysis. And that's how we create that clickstream. So, a lot of the automation around that is done by the data ops. And that team is actually a cross functional team. They have, like, in in that team, you have like a front end developer just for the UI and all the, you know, making fancy, the data engineer that builds the ETLs.
0: How big is that team? Four right now. (laughs) But you mentioned, you know, essentially them being in charge of, you could describe it as standardization and consolidation of of models. it's,
1: It's basically going full. Self-service and then turning that into kind of full managed self-service, with four people removing tons of friction, trying to find no common data sets, common metadata between this uncontrolled self-service. Pretty much going back to the Excel spreadsheet nightmare we all grew on, <laughs> just on petascale uh, uh, with data engineers instead but of uh, information consumers.
0: I wonder, Ben, you you know putting these that team in place and suddenly. You know, telling the org, let's stop for a second. Like you said, how do you enforce that? Like, what kind? How did you manage like the process around that? Because you know, an analyst, I might guess, they can just go ahead and do what they did before. Sometimes it would be faster, uh, not even ask. We're around the data ops, so how do you manage that?
2: It, uh, yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's like basically, definitely, I won't be able to say, "Hey guys, stop for a month or so. Don't develop. We're we'll, we're moving." We actually, mo- we work with both of the, the pipelines, so we still have the legacy, the failed attraction, which is slowly draining because as the new products are going out, everyone's picking the new framework, so we're slowly draining that, that pipeline. Still, we're at exactly at the point where I'm having active discussion with the leadership to actually be more aggressive, but like that's it. we need to completely deprecate it, even from the legacy parts of the of the website, because we're, you know, we're going towards like using the new framework also for experimentation and A-B testing, which we do I- internally. Um, one of the ways that, you know, I got the engineering teams to actually bear with me and work with me on the new framework was uh, I find like a carrot in, in the end of the stick of saying, hey guys, how about you get some self-serve analytics on Amplitude? And they were like, that's awesome. Get, get us, because, you know, the... We're actually like logically we're breaking into the, the analytics team are more focused on business you know kpis correlating you know retention with fts and subscription and more of the advanced analytics data science work and when it comes to hey tell me how many people click the button or how many people you know show me a funnel amplitude is just amazing at that mm-hmm. uh, so you know i was like go create it, that, that event it immediately appears on amplitude that Created like a self-serve world world for a lot of the PMs in engineering. Uh, I did create, you know, that that also created the problem because now, again, going back to the original issue, there's now multiple schemas, a lot of team, and really hard to control this. So your question should be, okay, so how would you get from this mess? Because like, it seems like you created a great framework where anyone can create whatever they want and they're happy about it, but the, the collective, the holistically. So, um, we're working in the, in the coming quarter, we're working on a um, hydration layer, basically an enrichment layer. And what we're planning to do, we're looking into KSP over Confluent. We had like a, a, a pretty successful POC with it uh, through a hackathon, honestly, um, where the idea is that we want to dumb down as much as possible the client sending the data.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't need you to tell me about like, you know, what subscription the customer has because I already know it and I have those dimension tables. I don't need you to provide me all that information. I don't need to tell me to which team ID they belong. So, uh, and the reason we didn't do it so far is because a lot of the aggregations and the business logic is maintained on the data warehouse in Snowflake. And when I'm serving the data from Kafka into Amplitude or any of the endpoints, you know, it could be uh, Prometheus, whatever whatever you're using, i don't have the access to those dimension tables so using ksp we're basically planning to and basically have those tables closer to kafka you know sp runs under the hood it runs like BroxDB with persistent data and then once that happens we're going to create basically not more than 20 30 generic events but just asking for the facts information and whatever needs to be enriched that's going to be done through ksp uh sorry ksp is an internal term we use for, uh, it's a frame we built where you can, these are the data, um, think of it like consumers uh, that you can use in order to drop it to whatever data sync you need. So you will be able to self-serve the, uh, the fact that the events are already designed. The data model is already in place. We're dumbing down the client. It will speed up the, uh, uh, the deployment of new products through PNs and, and, and engineering teams. And we're keeping the data modeling for data engineering and analysts versus letting now them upstream influence our life.
0: Is yep. this already launched in production, or is this an active project?
2: No,
1: it's it's just like it's uh
2: it's it's we just started working on on, on the. On idea. Canva,
1: it's on Canva. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: You you managed before transitioning from managed Kafka to Kafka and Confluent. What was the story there for that transition?
2: I think that overall, you know, as we, you know, right now, I think that like a lot of the companies that, you know, I'm following, it, it seems like, you know, when you when you need to measure where you want to put your efforts versus, like, maintaining, you know, the, your, your infrastructure versus putting it on a managed, even though you pay for it, it's not for free, right now, we prefer focusing our CPUs into driving, you know, data insights and helping BI, helping data scientists, machine learning teams, To actually, you know, uh, move forward with their initiatives. So right now, as a rule of thumb, if there's a service I can put it as a managed service and offload that work for me, Uh, I'll try and do
0: it. What are, uh, I mean, you mentioned so many, uh, like a huge variety of things at the end of the day that you guys do with data, and it's pretty impressive to see, you know, Vimeo being so so data driven. Can you share, you know, what kind of sort of workloads or use cases? Are sort of unique or special or the ones you, you you enjoyed seeing that brought out of value to, to Vimeo?
3: Yeah you know it's I would say almost like any department is actually consuming you know data from data warehouse or for their own initiatives all the way from you know marketing for you know targeted uh TROs, you know return on ad spend. So marketing, you know they they use like they have models like uh TROs where they basically close the real time use the data coming from the from the app to target the customers on the different ad um, uh, platforms, uh, you have the CRM team um, using all the email campaigns are basically based on data coming from the Snowflake uh, data set. Um, a lot of the you know like data science projects uh, are also you know utilized through, through Snowflake. Um, also, I would say like the machine learning team is also some of their payloads are also, you know, there's like they basically, like for example, they use Kubeflow together with Airflow to ingest and pull data from, from Snowflake. Um, and then the important, it's just like, you know, just recall going back to the list of teams, an the important team is also the search and recommendation team, which running on, on uh, Elasticsearch. And, you know, they basically work on personalization and uh, their recommendation algorithms. Uh, so also they, they're utilizing data coming from the data coming from snowflake and the personalization data is actually stored into uh, big table and uh, Elasticsearch. search um, more payloads uh, yeah all the theory, uh data is uh, the quality of experience um, as we talked at the beginning is also you know used to, like it's stored into in this case stored into bigquery uh, originally the reason we have a like both is just because we, you know, we moved to GCP a couple of years ago. When I joined, we just moved from Vertica to Snowflake. Snowflake had only the AWS implementation. So we kind of like, you know, on both legs, uh, kind of like, and I don't think, I don't see us you know, moving the Snowflake instance into GCP anytime soon.
0: But what's your strategy there? Like is the intent to stay on both uh, AWS and GCP? I mean, you're running both Snowflake both and BigQuery, is do you consider that sort of a legacy tech debt, or is it a like sort of a strategy of using the right tool for the right purpose?
3: The way I'm thinking about it is, it's like more the snowflake for me is the the world where I want to make sure these are like you know bad, like high quality data that's being used by this different business departments, uh, BigQuery and the stack on overall GCP for data storage is something more engineering oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, if you know, some of them are using Spanner. They're using like you know uh, the, the block stack and so on. Uh, that's more of a, like engineering-oriented uh, uh, framework that we're using in, in services. Uh, for me, you know, Snowflake is the de facto. Like the, the easiest way to think about it is like I won't put in front of leadership any report which is coming from BigQuery. I'm not owning it. It's not my problem. Anything that goes into Snowflake, that's where we do the
0: so, your single version of the truth, enterprise data warehouse, like traditional in the traditional sense, is, is Snowflake and, and BigQuery is using a more uh, engineering kind of sense. Interesting.
3: If you think I'm not getting emails once you know, <laughs> in a blue moon saying, hey, I'm seeing different data between BigQuery and, and Snowflake, we do get that. Uh, but you know, again, it's just a matter of setting up applications where data really exists. So, what are the big
0: uh, the big plans for, let's you know, the next year within your uh, data initiatives?
3: You know, we're doubling down on the. Me personally, I'm really, really focused on the data availability, building trust with the overall organization. We're actually expanding our machine learning teams and, and really trying to go in that direction. And I feel that we won't be able to sense that, create that sense of uh, trust in the data. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, it'd be really hard to advocate for hiring more and to actually taking more risk with the business. Um, so, you know, we spent a lot of the year on, on the data availability aspect, of like, you know, creating SLAs and SLOs for for some of the uh, data stack, making sure that teams have the clear expectation of, like, what, you know, like, if this, this is an when is it supposed to be uh, done? What's the time to respond for any data outage? Uh, I feel a lot of that once, the more we kind of create that world, you set up the expectation with the stakeholders because the easiest statement is like saying data is wrong, right? Like data's wrong is like, oh, I opened up my spreadsheet and didn't open up today, data's wrong. Or, you know, like it, 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 so I'm trying, as much, and it's really not an easy uh, battle. It's uh, to kind of like draw those thin lines of like boundaries, of like where does data engineering starts and ends, Um in a lot of the cases, I'm more facilitating those discussions and not necessarily related to data engineering. But for example, we're trying to help the analytics team by being their ambassador to find where the data problem starts. You know, like if it's, there's a transaction discrepancy or or maybe payments are not getting in time. It's you know it could be even like a third party issue, like a, whatever one of the vendors. It's not a data engineering issue. We're still trying to find ourselves accountable to help them find the source. Speak the engineering language, help them get there, and so on.
0: Yeah, it's the world of human engineering required to be successful in data engineering. We don't uh, talk about it often enough. <laughs> the politics of data, papam.
3: Yeah, you always use that mantra. Like basically, you know, it's uh, doesn't matter how, how like how good of a technology we build, how talented we are. Eventually, it's like people and processes and technology. It's a combination of those three um, items. Um, so yeah, so a lot, so one of like, some of the things that we changed, we implemented Monte Carlo, uh, a year, like September last year, which was super successful. Uh, I'm really, really happy with it. Great team.
0: Yeah. So Monte Carlo is, we're, we're trending like crazy. Tell us a bit what, uh, the value you got out of it.
3: It's really, I felt like we, we literally jumped to the future because wow. Wow. We, we were we were actually you know we were actually trying to build some of those tools ourselves. You know, I'll give you an example. Okay, so uh, let's talk about a little bit about data validation. We're trying to build trust, right? So upstream, data comes into Kafka. Now we have a schema registry, a fancy framework knows to tell if the data is right or wrong. What we don't know how to do there yet is like tell you if there are any anomalies, right? Are there any anomalies to the data? So you go downstream a little bit into the ETLs into airflow. We use great expectations there. And you know, great expectations is great, but it takes time to implement for the whole pipeline for all the ETLs. You have to prioritize it somehow. And unfortunately, usually you prioritize it by how many issues you had, and you know who was shouting at you more than the other. Um, so we started at actually, we we experimented with a lot, like we experiment with Anadot for a while. I think Anabod is good for specific you know, like specific anomaly detection, specific business logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Monte Carlo did, which was amazing in my mind, was that he basically went to the, they hooked up to Snowflake and to Looker. And basically, without me setting setting up anything, they started listening to and building that anomaly detection and freshness uh, uh, metrics for all the tables, the data sets we have. Um, And suddenly I'm starting to be aware of problems I wasn't aware of at all. Like I I, I had no idea that a specific data set usually like once a week would be, would not be refreshed for like two days. Now, once you have that, you know, the first reaction, my team's reaction was like, well, you know what? That sounds like pretty risky because now we're going to spend our time just jumping on like a thousand alerts. How's that going to help us? So what we did was, was to actually start focusing on a specific scheme or a specific data set. Turn on the alerts there, understand who's the owner of those alerts. Like, because, you know, sometimes you, you can have a, a fresh issue. You cannot debug it yourself. You need to understand. You need to talk, go to the engineering team, talk to them, understand what's going on. They're driving the data. So we started building those, like, those uh, relationships where if I know what's the data set, I know who's the team that's actually driving the data set. I can set up a Slack channel where any alerts goes there. I'll always, me as a data engineer, I'll always be there to, to be able to be aware of those alerts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also I'll make sure that the stakeholders are also on that channel and the, and the publishers are also on that channel. We have a whole kumbaya of like, hey, the problem happened. Should we address it or not? Now, in reality, what happens is that you know you need to build that relationship. Some things are more kind of like data-driven, and they're like, you know, kind of like. You know, excited about solving those problems. Some teams are, you know, that's not the biggest problem, not the biggest patient trying to fight. Try. Um, but one of the kind of help us there is start just building those reports. I'm getting a report, a fancy report tells me from all the channels you have right now and all the teams you're working with, that's the responsiveness uh, SLAs you're seeing there. And for me, that's kind of like basically a get out of jail uh, card because whenever someone comes to me and says, hey, data is bad, I'm like, data is bad where? Oh, it's bad with the CRM. Let's look at the CRM. Well, you doesn't have response in of the alerts for the past month. Obviously, it's bad, you know. So that starts at the conversation and, and the point where you're setting up the expectations and escalate with, with, with your stakeholders and the publishers. It helps you facilitate the discussions. Um, so that that was like like we really felt all of, all of us we were like. We're still happy we didn't try and build ourselves ourselves and someone else. This is
1: the amazing thing about Monte Carlo. It takes your existing modern stack, your all the mess, all the confusion, and kind of backwards builds up, draws a picture, shows you where the problems are, does the alerts, tries to come help with conclusions. You connect it to Slack. That's a new stack. That's a new way of uh, driving data. And uh, a few years ago, we would have to have a dedicated team just for that, it doesn't work, especially when there's so much self service going on. And uh, it's just amazing to see. And we're super happy to hear about Monte Carlo. We hear that a lot. So we expect great things from this company. You shared
0: a lot of great things that you do at uh, Vimeo, partly or we would not let you brag uh, forever. Now it's time to hear about, kind of, share an epic failure with us. doesn't have to be from Vimeo, from your data career. Let's hear about some, some things that didn't work.
3: I think I already disclosed it. Like, I think the epic failure was the fact that we were like, you know, when we built this big picture framework, we were so focused on the self-serve aspect of it. You we were like, that would be amazing. No one needs to talk to us. They can, We don't, you know, we don't need to babysit that discussion. They can go and create their own schemas. And if someone creates it, if it fails, we'll find them. That, like, that was the mindset, but we didn't like it, it's literally this oversight of like, but hold on, who's gonna be the one that sets up the mandate in regards to like why are we even creating that scheme? And what point at what point do we bring the customers of data, which in my mind is the you know the and that, the, the analyst, the data scientist? They should be part of the discussion. to actually tell us, like, here's what we need, not what the publishers need. Um, I think that was like, you know, was a, a, I think, you know, again, a mistake that we'll fix. Uh, I wish we, you know, we would we, we'll think about it ahead of time.
1: Will be interesting to talk to you in a year and see how kind of how that experiment uh, uh, went. I mean, many, in many cases, companies just jump between two extremes. So they either go full self-service or and then they kind of get burned. And then they go full uh, 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 managed. uh, 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 Four people try to route every request at the company. I think that the modern data stack is here to help. So it will be amazing to see kind of how that plays out. And yeah, never go full retard, you know. Uh, Always, as you said, manage manage expectations, manage people and prioritize.
0: Tropic Thunder quotes, always here to help.
1: Always uh, helping everything.
0: Uh, <laughs> what you know maybe weird question but Leo, what would happen to the business if the budget of the whole data engineering and data related uh, initiatives would be cut in half
1: no ads on videos for example great point because we don't do ads on videos ah uh, nice do your research no that. ads on videos <laughs> this it was is on not you, it it was not YouTube it was plugged on purpose <laughs> of course I know that
3: so you know it's it will be cut in, in half. I think, like going back to the question about managed, not managed. I think right now we're focused on like insights. We strongly believe that data is our next financial mode because we, you know, it's a company that exists sixteen years within the space of video. Um, we believe that if we'll be able to um, line up the, the the processes and teams and infrastructure properly. We can start extracting uh, insights about videos and help businesses drive real, real impact. We won't be just a video platform uh, company. We'll be providing video insights for, for customers. So that's like that's the, the main focus. And how fast can we get there? So you know, at this point in time, you know, we're like, you know, we just had the IPO, and we're like in the we're in the, that sweet spot of like, it's not that money doesn't. Count and we are being still being frugal and, and never. <laughs> um, but right now we're like anything that we can just delegate and just not focus on and just like focus on helping teams building uh those insights. Um that, that that's oh. gonna be motive right now. But when I'm meeting my CFO uh once I don't know, a couple of months, to just like look at the budget and he looks at the into the snowflake budget, uh he's pretty worried. Yeah. <laughs> because because we did grow it, you know, uh, I think for the first year we grew it by I think it was fifty-five percent. And second year we grew it by I think seventy percent. Just by the
0: amount of times you mentioned Snowflake, I'm sure your CFO is super worried looking at that at that bill. But I mean what you described, I think signals why these are amazing times to be in data? Because you know, in the past, data budget it was all it was a cost center. It was how can we, with the least amount of spend, get these annoying reports out of our way. Whereas today, modern companies understand that data is an investment. It's value. It's it's can suddenly be an X factor for business models for for companies. And and you know, it's okay to actually invest more than we used to, not less, to try and and, and drive value out of it. So uh, super interesting to see how Vimeo does that. Okay, good. So we want to light things up a little bit uh, as we near the end. Typically, we do this uh, more in the start. We'll do a quick uh, blitz round of short, quick questions. Don't overthink, just answer quickly. Are you ready? Sure. (laughs) Okay, so commercial or open source?
3: Commercial, I think. Commercial, yeah. Absolutely.
0: There are no wrong answers. Uh, Batch or streaming? Streaming. Write your own SQL or use a drag drag and drop uh, visualization tool. Write your work from home or from the office.
3: Uh, me personally, home, but I think hybrid is uh, is more feasible for everyone.
0: AWS, GCP, or Azure.
3: Hmm. Well, right now, absolutely GCP because we're all heads down into it, and please. Don't wake up anyone's appetite like, to try something else right now than Vimeo, but it depends, I guess. It depends. To DBT or not to DBT? To DBT, absolutely. On our like already somehow implemented, but we're definitely doubling down there. To Delta Lake or not to Delta Lake? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> YouTube or Vimeo? YouTube Premium or Vimeo? Oh, it's a that's a
3: good question. It depends if you're creating UGC content and you're just like trying to monetize from ads, definitely YouTube. If you're a business that you're caring about your brand recognition and making sure you have your own clean videos with no ads, that's Vimeo. That,
0: that's the difference when we when we have executives uh, on the podcast versus the the hands-on people. You know, if we interview just a engineer on Vimeo, oh, of
1: course Vimeo. <laughs> he's giving us answers. You know. <laughs> Just true or false? There's no in between.
0: <laughs> He's all well thought, of, you know, thought about the answer. Okay, very good. I think we're about to reach the end. Eldad, anything else you sort of want to dive into?
1: Just one quick thing. So, you, you know, you've mentioned kind of that you want to drive inside from videos, etc. Voice is, 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 you know, makes tons of sense. Like if you look at a gong or stuff like that, because people communicate, and then you get tons of value out of kind of analyzing what multiple voices uh, 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 say on the call. Are you planning to make videos more interactive, kind of embed more, you know, you know, making it less about broadcasting and more about getting some feedback from viewers so that it can actually drive some kind of video analytics insight in the future? Is that planned? Is it, Will we see some advanced Vimeo player getting more of that? Anything you can share?
3: You know, you see me just pausing for a moment because <laughs> I can say short answer yes. There are definitely plans. I can't elaborate too much.
1: Ah, nice. There's a big thing planned. Okay.
3: <laughs> Didn't say that.
0: <laughs> no comment. No, no comment. No comment. <laughs> Uh, Lior, this has been super interesting thank you so much for joining uh, our podcast Uh, and we, that said, we need to talk to you in a year, Uh, please do not disappoint us, we want to have all these uh, milestones achieved uh, with excellence uh, and we would follow up (laughs) (laughs) thank you you so much much. thank you so much